Hello, welcome to the Candy Apple Press podcast, The Feminine Boudoir. I am the publisher of Candy Apple Press, as well as its main writer, Kylie Gable. And today I have a couple treats for you. Uh, first, we have Miss Jen Davis, who you might remember from Boarding Passes, which she recorded for me about a month ago. Um, this time around, she is doing a story called April's Easter Bunny. April and her sissy Paul are recurring characters. I've written about five or six books with them. They April tormented and humiliated and feminized Paul after he got on her bad side senior year of high school. And what happens is April um, finds him again as an adult. They are in the same condo. And she picks up right where she left off. So this is one of several April stories called April's Easter Bunny. And I wrote that with Mindy Harris. The other story we're going to do tonight is um, from Mistress DJ, who she's on more than half of the shows that I've recorded so far. Mistress DJ who, like Miss Jen Davis, is a real-life um, femdom, as well as someone who's on Night Flirt, and I want clips and clips for sale. She does her reading of the story The Sissy Ball, and I'll get to that uh, later. But for now, we're going to start off this show with Miss Jen Davis doing the very beginning of the story, April's Easter Bunny. This is right where the story begins. One thing I like about this story quite a bit is there are so many scenes in here that work for the type of short um, clips which I show. The actual audio is about an hour, and our sissy gets into all sorts of scrapes. This one is more of a Mardi Gras humiliation. The rest are Easter humiliations. So without further ado, here's Miss Jen Davis with April's Easter Bunny. April's Easter Bunny by Kylie Gable and Mindy Harris. Narrated by Miss Jen Davis. All characters are over the age of 18. April Blackwell was the bane of Paul's existence in high school. Ever since he made the mistake of getting on the beautiful mean girl's bad side, she'd gone out of her way to humiliate and torture him. Her weapon of choice was feminization, and she was a genius at it. April and her friends were not only quite good at making him look like a girl, but they were also sadistically creative. Just about a year before, she'd storm back into Paul's life. It seemed like a chance encounter when he'd gone down to his mailbox. She was so apologetic about how she'd humiliated and emasculated him, and he'd taken her at her word. To his utter dismay, it didn't take April long to have him back in her clutches once again, completely entrapped and feminized. That night, 
Paul was out at Hurricane Johnny's with April and her friends. Many of them were the same ones who delighted in helping her torment him back in high school. It was the night of Mardi Gras, and Hurricane Johnny's was a New Orleans-themed bar named for their huge and potent cocktails and famous for their live music. Paul was wearing a very tight, purple, green, and gold bodycon mini-dress that was picked by April specifically for the occasion. On his feet were gold five-inch heels, and even his makeup followed the Mardi Gras color scheme. Paul had been given an especially demeaning task by the girls. Tonight, all the guys at Hurricane Johnny's were given beads as they entered the bar. And, just like at the raucous Mardi Gras celebration in New Orleans, a certain number of women were determined to pile up as many of those cheap plastic souvenirs as they could. April and her crowd were too cool to be moved by such tacky trinkets, but that didn't stop the guys from stopping by their table and trying to curry favor with them. April had four girlfriends with her, and they were all just as stunning as she was, but not one of them was dressed anywhere near as sexily as they had dressed Paul. His task was to get more beads than April and her friends combined. He knew he had to win, or else. The girls had a huge advantage, as there were five of them. They could get a guy to give them multiple beads. What Paul lacked in numbers, he tried to make up for in enthusiasm. While the girls were content to sit at their table enjoying each other for much of the night, Paul had no choice but to get out on the dance floor and shake everything he had, even rubbing up against guys to entice them. Still, it was nearing last call, and while Paul had 24 strings of beads, he knew April's table had accumulated 27 of them. Paul was getting desperate when he spied a guy across the ball that must have had a half-dozen beads around his neck. Deciding that it was now or never, Paul gulped down his drink and approached the guy, flashing his most alluring come-hither smile. So, what will it take for me to get some of those beads, said Paul seductively, as he approached the beaded man. The guy wasn't bad-looking, really. He had a neatly trimmed red beard and towered over Paul, despite the desperate sissy's towering heels. He had a good body, but he was drunk and getting drunker. He smiled at Paul hungrily. I'm sure we could make a deal, he slurred. What did you have in mind? cooed Paul, not relishing the thought of having to pay one of April's sadistic forfeits if he was denied in his quest. How about four kisses for four strands? asked Paul. Nah, I don't think so, he said. You want four? I want my cock sucked. You can't be serious, replied Paul. Well, 
You're the one who wants these so bad, said the guy. You know there's a price. Yeah, but not that high. I'll do you a hand job for four, offered Paul. Fine, said the guy, not thrilled, but not turning down a free hand job from a cute, apparent girl. Let's go out into the alley. Sounds classy, said Paul, who nevertheless allowed the man to take his hand and lead him out past an amused busboy. Once out in the gravel-covered alleyway, surrounded by empty cases of beer and spirits, the man lowered his pants, and Paul went to work. The task proved more difficult than Paul had expected. Not only did the man have a serious case of whiskey dick, but as soon as Paul kissed him, he insisted on sticking his entire tongue deeply into Paul's mouth. What was that for? asked Paul. You taste like a distillery. Part of the service. What good is rubbing one out without some heavy kissing? I could do it myself. I mean, you do want the beads, right? Paul felt so degraded to be putting up with this guy's demeaning behavior just for some cheap plastic beads that probably cost less than a dollar for all four. It occurred to Paul that he was in the process of getting another man off for under a dollar, and that made him feel used and slutty. Still, it was better than losing and incurring April's wrath. The guy eventually came while he was kissing Paul deeply. As a result, their bodies were pressed closely together, and the guy unapologetically sprayed the front of Paul's dress. Oh, fuck, said Paul. It'll wash right out, said the guy, tossing Paul the four strands of beads and walking back inside without so much as a thank you. Paul shook his head in disgust. He found an old, dirty bar rag in the trash and was able to wipe off some of the mess from the front of his dress. Still, the stain was big and obvious. He knew that it would remain even after dry cleaning, and it's quite a large mark at that. The dress was ruined, and April would make him pay dearly for that. Shamefaced, Paul walked back to April's table. The girls took one look at him and laughed. I don't even want to know what happened to you, said Brandy. I had to earn a lot of beads, remember, said Paul. Well, at least you've got skill, replied April. Let's count up the beads and see who won. It wasn't easy, admitted Paul, but I got 28. Good job, said Carla, smirking. We can tell you earned them. We got 29, said April, with a cruel smile spreading across her face like storm clouds filling the afternoon sky. But how, asked Paul, you just had 27. Some guy with a beard. He was in a great mood when he passed by our table, and he tossed us his last two. Oh, no, groaned Paul. Oh, yes, cheered Brandy. Now, I believe there is the matter of a forfeit, said Beth. I believe there is, said April. Let's go to the ladies' room. 
You too, Paul, said April. There were two women using the sink when April and her entourage descended on the restroom. The girls waited for the ladies to finish adjusting their makeup and leave before turning their attention to Paul. You know, I was feeling rather silly for forgetting any rope or cuffs or anything fun tonight, said April. Then Kay reminded me that we had all of these beads. It won't work as well as rope, but I bet we could make something secure out of 57 strands of beads. Paul tried to make a run for it, but the girls quickly grabbed him and bent him over the sink. Beads were tied around his wrists, arms, and ankles. Despite no individual string being very strong, the combined effect was to leave Paul absolutely helpless. You know, Paul, said April. Tomorrow is Lent, and it's time for sacrifice. Yeah, I know, replied Paul. Any chance I could give up dressing as a girl for Lent? Maybe forever? Having been raised Catholic, he was well familiar with its rituals. No, but guess what you're going to be giving up instead, asked Brandy, pulling a pink chastity cage from her purse. No, cried Paul. He recognized that cage. He'd worn it before, but this was different. How will I ever explain this to my fiancée, Sandra? She was freaked out enough by what April did to me last time. I barely got her to take me back. Not our problem, said April, as she pulled down Paul's pantyhose and panties so that Brandy could lock the cage into place. As she did, Paul felt more helpless than ever. He'd actually French-kissed and given a hand job to some drunken jerk and gotten drenched in his cum. All this while dressed as a Mardi Gras slut. As bad as that was, Paul lost the contest anyway. That alone degraded and emasculated him. Now he knew his situation was about to get much, much worse. As he heard and felt the click of the locking device, Paul understood that these girls now owned him completely. They control his orgasms from that point on. Seeing the triumphant glee in their eyes, Paul turned away in shame, trembling with humiliation. Luckily, we bought the smallest cock cage available, the basic bitch size, designed for the man who is packing barely anything at all. Perfect for your teeny tiny little clitty, said April as the rest of the girls laughed, some holding up their pinky fingers at Paul, mocking his tiny cock. Paul was still hogtied on the bathroom floor while the girls merrily walked out, giggling and laughing. It was fifteen minutes until last call, but he stayed there, waiting helplessly, until employees came in to clean the bathroom and released him an hour later. The worst part was the drunken women who'd filed past in the last minutes the bar was open, ignoring his distress other than laughing about it. Again, that was Miss Jen Davis reading my story, April's Easter Bunny. 
you know, please take advantage of your ability to leave feedback to let me know what narrators, voiceover actresses, whatever you want to call them, you like best. I think Jen does a really excellent job. She's got an excellent voice. It's sexy. She reads smoothly. But I want to know which ones you like the best. I literally have a bunch of different women who are right now working on recording audios for me, and I can't wait till they're finished. Our next story is from... Mistress DJ. Mistress DJ, I, I consider her a friend, and I think she's a wonderful person, honestly, but she is also um, a very, very strict dom with a wicked imagination and a great voice. The story she's doing is a story that I wrote way, way back um, as part of a book called Taking One for the Team. It was a little short story called The Sissy Ball. And The Sissy Ball, well, there's some actual experience here. When I was feminized in college, this was something the girls did with us on Super Bowl Sunday. And it was humiliating. First off, trying to play football with fake breasts and fake fingernails and heels on while they're wearing gym shoes and, you know, workout clothes, is very difficult. We played at a public park, so you've got that humiliation. And then finally, we got creamed, so we, we you know, made it back to um, home and then got the added joy of dressing up as cheerleaders for the Super Bowl party. So... This is one that's very close to my heart. It's the Sissy Bowl, and reading it is Mistress DJ. The Sissy Bowl, written by Kylie Gable and Claudia Costa. The Sissy Bowl is published by Candy Apple Press. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Dale took the liquid soap and lathered up Jeff from his neck down to his balls. A decade ago, he had been the backup quarterback for his junior college football team. Dale loved the sport, and he was good at it. He was used to hitting the showers with the other guys, but lathering up his teammate, well, that was certainly something different. Two years ago, Jeff's wife Eileen had caught him cheating on her with his secretary. Most women would have chosen to dump him right then and there, but Eileen was not most women. Rather than a sizable alimony payment, she chose to take a pound of flesh. She decided to dedicate herself to feminizing Jeff and making him her serving maid. She called on her best friend Paula, who also happened to be Dale's wife. Unfortunately for Dale, when the women finished turning Jeff into Jenny, they decided to turn him into Chrissy. Their wives did not require their sissified husbands to get plastic surgery or take hormones, but they spared no expense in turning their macho men into reluctant, simpering maids. Jeff was only 5'8" but two years ago he weighed 170 pounds. Today he was 135. His long, platinum blonde hair took him a long time to get used to, but it now hung well down his back, and he had a standing appointment every two weeks with the woman who did his wife's hair. His skin was smooth, and he knew better than to get careless with his feminine rituals. On the towel rack next to the sink, it was his pantyhose that were hanging up to dry, not Paula's. Today was the most masculine day of the year. Throughout the whole country, even henpecked husbands were allowed a day off to watch the Super Bowl and eat junk food that their wives would ordinarily never approve of. 
Today would be different for Jeff and Dale. Today would be the most humiliating football game ever played. Today would be the Sissy Bowl. Both Paula and Eileen kept themselves in good shape. They had gym memberships that they used, they played tennis, and they even did boot camps together. However, Jeff and Dale were both athletic guys and would normally easily beat their wives in a game of football. In fact, when the girls had suggested they play football to determine who got to watch the game and who dressed up as slutty cheerleaders to serve them, the guys jumped at the opportunity. As usual, their wives had outsmarted them. The wives controlled what the men wore, and they insisted on the most inappropriate attire ever conceived for an athletic event. The boys had already stopped at their usual nail salon for extensions, and now they sported two-inch nail extensions, each in the team color of one of the Super Bowl teams. After toweling each other off, the two sissy husbands put on their uniforms, which consisted of black sandals with four-inch spiked heels, a black push-up bra, which breast forms expanded to 36C on Dale, and D-cup on Jeff, a pair of tight black short shorts, black lace panties, black sheer pantyhose, and pink football jerseys, which were cropped just below the bottom of their bra. The uniforms looked quite sexy on the feminized footballers, but they were completely impractical for any kind of physical competition. The look was completed by heavy makeup, including a thick line of eyebrow pencil at the top of their cheeks to mimic their eye black that professional football players wore. After dousing themselves with perfume, the players were ready to go out to the living room and meet their wives. Eileen and Paula were dressed for the game. They had on sweatshirts and pants and were wearing gym shoes. In the living room with them was their friend Olivia. So, did you boys have a nice shower? asked Olivia. Yes, we did, Miss Olivia, said Dale, as the two husbands curtsied to the guest. They always take so long. I don't have any idea what they're doing in that shower, said Paula with a wink. I love your uniform, said Olivia. Let's have a twirl. The two sissies twirled for the girls already humiliated by being on display for their wives, and Olivia liked this. Well, we have a game to get to, said Eileen. The two husbands held hands and minced out to Olivia's SUV, followed by their wives. They climbed in the back seat where they knew what was expected of them. They began to kiss each other deeply, making out like a couple of teenagers at a drive-in movie. They sure are enjoying themselves, said Olivia, looking at her rearview mirror. I swear they can't keep their hands off each other, said Eileen. As the SUV pulled into the park, they were not happy. It was bad enough to be playing football dressed this way at a public park, but they could see that about a dozen of their wives' friends were there to watch the game. Wow, we've got quite a crowd, smiled Eileen. After some brief stretching, the game was ready to begin. The park had kind of an unofficial football field between the two baseball diamonds, running to an area between a large oak tree and a swing set. It wasn't exactly symmetrical, but the area made a playing surface roughly 40 yards by 20 yards. For only two players on each team, it seemed the perfect size. Jeff was given the job of punting the ball to start the game, but he found the shoes incredibly difficult to kick in. The result was a bounding, rolling kick that actually did the job. When Paula picked up the ball, she had her husband barreling down on her, at least as much as he could in his shoes. She moved to his right and then suddenly cut back to the left as he was closing in on her. Dale tried to react quickly to her move, but in the heels he only proceeded to fall on his face as she scampered past to cheers from the assembled crowd, which now included pedestrians who just happened by. When the two husbands got the ball, they decided that running any kind of long pass play would be impossible in heels. 
but when they figured with Dale being an experienced quarterback and with Jeff's height advantage, they could at least complete short passes, even if running was difficult. On the guy's first play, Dale backpedaled and tried to pass the ball to Jeff high above Eileen's outstretched arms. As he tried to move backwards, he found himself tripping over his own heels and landing in a heap, with his legs akimbo giving the crowd quite a view of his panties. The audience roared with laughter at the sight. On the next play, they tried another pass, and this time Dale moved back slowly and cautiously. He was well aware of Paula counting to five so that she could rush him, but he got the ball off quickly. His arms still had some of the zip of his playing days. Unfortunately, the long fingernails caused the ball not to speed through the air in a perfect spiral as Dale had anticipated, but to flop wobbling through the air straight to his wife, who was as surprised as anybody when the ball came to her. Dale had missed a target 40 feet away by over 10 yards. Over the next hour, the guys found themselves getting brutally tackled, missing easy plays, and fumbling their way to a horrible defeat. The crowd roared with delight every time the wives made a big play or when the husbands were humiliated, like when Paula snapped her husband's bra strap and used the distraction to get open for a touchdown pass. By the end of the game, the sissies were dead on their feet, hoping their torment would mercifully end. When finally it was over, the feminized husbands hung their heads dejectedly. They had been humiliated by their wives in front of a crowd of over 50 people. Aching all over, they anticipated the skimpy cheerleading outfits and an afternoon of not watching the game, but of mincing and serving. 56 to nothing, said Olivia, imitating an announcer. What's your secret? I think it all comes down to marrying very feminine sissies, laughed Paula. So tell me, Eileen, now that you've won the sissy bowl, what are you going to do, asked Olivia. I am going to the happiest place on earth, she replied. And where is that, responded Olivia. Anywhere I have a simpering sissy-made husband to serve me, laughed Eileen, patting Jaff on his behind. Anywhere I have a simpering sissy-made husband to serve me, laughed Eileen, patting Jeff on his behind. Well, husbands, we need you to get home so that you can shower and then put on your cheerleading uniforms before our friends get there, suggested Paula. Oh, they'll like the shower, laughed Olivia. Better not get too excited, said Eileen. We won by 56 points, which means they should be allowed to get out of chastity sometime in early April. Paula and I decided a day for every point it would be fair. Dale and Jeff moaned in misery. It would be a long two months. Still... Dale and Jeff moaned in misery. It would be a long two months. Still, Dale wouldn't have traded his relationship for anything in the world. He was lucky he had a wife perceptive enough to see how jealous he was getting of Jeff's well-earned punishment. He just hoped he could keep Jeff from finding out how much he was enjoying himself. Both sissies hung their heads in shame and frustration. So that was Mistress DJ with the story, The Sissy Ball. Um... That's it for our audio um, recording portion of the show. But I wanted to take a moment to thank my newest supporter, Carrie, who has been gracious and kind enough to sign up with a a monthly contribution of $4.99 a month. Uh, I can't thank her enough. This is really great. Um, To me, my goal is to... Just break even on this. Um, I've already spent 80 bucks on a microphone and money for some of these narrators, and so every little bit helps. Now, next week, we're going to have a uh, 
another treat for you. I understand that Allison Jerry has just completed another story for me. The story is called High Heeled Coup, and it's my tribute to movies like Working Girl, um, a lot of 1980s corporate movies, the type of movie where you know, high stakes business and somebody winds up going all the way down to the bottom through some of their own mistakes and winds up rising to the top. So it's kind of a, my version of an 80s corporate comedy in a way with lots of feminization though. I think you'll really enjoy it. Allison Jerry is a tremendous voice and she just loves doing these audios and that makes me love her hearing her do them that much more. So that'll be next week. As always, follow the links to support your show and uh, I will be back uh, next Monday. Have a great week.